Good evening, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm here with Mona and, of course, as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? Uh, are we any closer to any football as yet? I think that's the burning question everyone wants to know. Well, the Bundesliga now officially got the green light for the 16th. That is now going for that. And I think from what I've read also the last two days, the Premier League were also kind of waiting to see, you know, how the Bundesliga are going to go in which direction. And from what I heard now, that could now mean that gets the Premier League going. But from what the talk that's going on at the moment is, Bundesliga will start 16th of May, whereas I think the Premier League is talk about could be May 30 or even like a week prior to it. So, I mean, I don't know. Of course, we still have to see the coming days because... In that meeting that's Premier League had, now they are now, or they're quoted as saying, they committed now to finishing the season because they want to get the season over and done with. Because um, just to switch quickly to the Bundesliga, everything is also going to happen in like in a, you know, a very uh, compact way with fixtures so far because they already got some sort of game plan out how they're going to play out the remaining fixtures. And I think it could also be something down the lines of... Uh, you know, like almost like a weekend game, and then already straight, like you know, immediately a week, uh, midweek game. And I think the, the Premier League are probably going to follow suit. Um, my big question is like, uh, like, what's the the? Couldn't there be um, Corona still in the air that could you know restart this whole infection process again? If you know they they playing, I know they're playing behind closed doors most likely, but you know there's obviously chance that you know there's a it could likely spread again in the league with them all playing against each other. I mean, I, I just think most clubs will, you know, most clubs have also done with almost like hired firms now to, um, you know, uh, almost like disinfect the whole uh, arena and etc. From you know what even dressing rooms and stuff like that. And I mean, I think everybody's also gonna go down the same precautions with with the traveling for away games. I'm just not sure, sure because from what I've heard, the Premier League are still trying to think whether they're going to choose like six or eight uh, neutral stadiums or, you know, the Premier League stadiums. But it's going to be almost like where the Emirates will be used to host, you know, teams in the London area as well. And they'll probably have one stadium like, say, St. James's that will be in the Northeast and, and tackle teams, you know, that can play there. And same can be said for the you know the various other parts of, of the UK. So, I mean, I just think it's going to go down that end. But, you know, the, just to answer also your question, I also do think, you know, as, as cautious as one can be about this whole the corona thing, I still think somewhere you have to get also this ball rolling, you know, no pun intended. Because if you're going to keep on with the, you know, everything is almost like overly cautious, whatever, you're going to end up, Everything is just going to grind a halt again. And it's as, as good as you want to, you know, also keep people safe. You also, also have to keep the economy going, whether it's in the sporting field or business field. Yeah, that, that is true. It's just where you draw the line eventually because it's it's becoming to a point where this virus just doesn't seem to, like any breakthroughs with it. It's, yes, probably flattening the curve a bit, but... Uh, apparently, people are getting reinfected as well. So, you know, it's... I think it's... I'm also careful at the moment also because the media are also fear-mongering also a lot of these things because they are, same way, certain numbers also being thrown out and, and blown out of proportion. I think people should also be careful where, you know, which sources they take in for the news. 
So yeah, true. It's the same with with transfer things because at the moment you you also see so many rumors. I mean, it also leads us to one of my first topics of the evening. Uh, you know, with this vegetarian thing, where yesterday I think in the paper it, it stood something like um, he notified Arsenal to tell them about his intention to leave. That you know he's done with London. That's like a, a end chapter. And then of course his agent came out today to rebuff. You know these sort of quotes because he said like there was there was no no remark like it. and this is all like something that was just all like uh, thought thought out by uh, probably a board journalist or somebody that didn't have much on his you know on his plate now with the news almost like grind to a halt. So he said like there's no talk about that. I mean of course we all know Arteta you know it's not really uh, Mkhitaryan and it's not really in his plans and I think with us. Having to also uh, make the, the wage bill somewhat lighter. I think he also will be one of the main candidates to leave for, you know, with a. Because with this whole deal, uh, the, the talk of this deal, because there are talks between Arsenal and Roma. I think the thing that's becoming almost like the stumbling block now is the number one is wages. Because I think from, from what the feed now being talked about is something like 10 million for Mkhitaryan. And then they also want, uh, like, uh, Part of his salary also paid by Arsenal, and I think that was actually the, the stumbling block at the moment because I, I think Arsenal want to, you know, it was like the, we're already going to take the heat, you know, financially for the, the the fee. So I think Arsenal want them then, you know, to cover them that old salary of his, then if they're taking him like that. Yeah, I, I think Mkhitaryan's time is up at the club. I just feel he just never found, or in England, in that fact, he just never found that yeah. form he found in the Bundesliga. I'm not sure. If it's the the league itself, or if it's just he just couldn't adapt to the different playing styles at the club. I wonder, you know, if he had to go into Liverpool, if it would have been a difference playing under Jurgen Klopp, because it seemed like he flourished under Klopp. But I just think he's, for me, his biggest problem was if you take it out with regards to the Premier League, you know, he had all that time to do his dribbling, and I mean that was his biggest asset also at, at Dortmund. In England, he just didn't get that sort of you know, time and space to do that that sort of thing in his game. And and more often than not, he used to just drift out of a game and then at times he actually wanted easy playing because it would just be quiet, he would hear nothing, you know, he's not really somebody that's going to ask for the ball or go fetch the ball and stuff like that. And, and, and same, uh, I think the comparison that I was thinking also with, with him, you know, that, that's ne- never really achieved uh, uh, through our through greatness, almost like I would say that in the, in the Premier League is Memphis Depay, because look, he came also with this massive, massive uh, reputation, and then the minute he joined United, it's like you thought to yourself, is this the guy really that that everybody or Europe's been going wild about? Yeah, it's, it's it's really scary how different leagues can impact players. Like if you look at Clef, for example, you know I was uh, for some reason that that commentary and the goal of Fabregas against Liverpool in the 1-1 draw in 2007. I don't even remember it when Gleb like delays the pass for Adebayo and Bentner. Then he plays it through to um, Fabregas. And Andy Gray's commentary is actually classic. But um, that um, pass of Gleb just showed the type of play he was at the club. And I think that season as well, he was very influential until the whole rumour of Barcelona came around. And you also wonder, you know, players that end up going to Barcelona, why is it they can't hack it? You look at Coutinho, you look at um, 
Petit, you look at top players that go to Barcelona and suddenly they fall flat on their face. I think it's almost like they just want that Barcelona name almost on their CV, you know? So when they leave or go on, like, you know, use a, a, the club say as a stepping stone and they move on from, say, Barcelona, then you think, okay, that's that. But you can see that their careers, almost like really peters out at the alarming rate. And, uh, you know, speaking on this topic now, um, also with these players, I don't know if you noticed, we are fine. You can find it through gems uh, these days, especially like say the French league. Is the like league two, the league two because the, the sort of players that are coming out. I mean, if you think when we got Kosciolny from from Lorient, nobody, uh, you know, nobody really took note of him. There was of course talk that the only thing that was really in the media about him was that we had to play for France or for for Poland, and that was it. About the, the player. Other than that, it was almost like a surprise factor. Of course, when you saw Castellani play for Arsenal, he had a couple of shockers in the beginning. But I mean, once he found, found his feet, I mean, he was almost like a juggernaut in the in the defense. Yeah, he, and, he, and he, like, he had to partner with so many different partners as well. I mean, Skilachi, you know, for Marlon. Uh, but he was always almost the, the key figure in the defense. And it's just, you know, pretty how he's. Yeah. he's Career ended at Arsenal in such controversy, but you know, for me, he was over the past decade probably. He was probably our best defender. I don't know, maybe you see it differently, but for me, he was you know the most reliable. I mean, I still look. That's why I made it also a topic uh, at the time when we did the one of the earlier podcasts where I said I still find the pity or how. It was everything was so sudden, like when he left. Like it wasn't really a, a say a goodbye to the fans. It was just almost like this in-your-face type of thing where Bordeaux put up a thing on Twitter with him, you know, pulling off the Arsenal shirt and then we have the Bordeaux kit under that. So almost like it left always a bitter taste, and and I felt it never. It could be that our things were running behind the scenes where things were just going awry, but I still think it, it could have been a better send-off for him as a player, and I think also. He could have also, you know, been a bit more classy with a farewell thing. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Something that I was been thinking about, and you know, it was just not bothering me, but just your thoughts on it as well is, you know, asking Wenger's final years. Not I'm not talking about the end towards the end when it really got toxic, but when he had those like the Champions League final squad, he had. The, and even after that, you look at the players he had. He had a really good squad if you compare it to the other teams in the league. And you just wonder why he couldn't capitalize. I mean, Fabregas, you know, the teenager was like we. I know we lost um, uh, Perez. Um, we lost Henri eventually, and then we had like the likes of Kleb. We had Fabregas, Van Persie, Adebayor. All top top players, and if you try to, I mean, Flamini was also, you know, at his peak of his powers at that point. But you wonder why they couldn't turn that into trophy seasons. Like they had everything. If you look at that, you look at that team. Like compared to even Arsenal squad now, yeah. and you think, wow, this they, they had everything all over the pitch. Were they just missing leadership on the field? Were they just missing a general? Or were they missing someone at the back? Because Colatore and Galas were they too short? Like you know, where did this all go wrong? Because I- you look yeah. at that squad, like it's it was a power team and on paper could have taken most teams, barring maybe it would have been a tough game against Man United, which at the Emirates we kind of initially got the better of them and even drew here and there. But uh, we just got overpowered all the time. I just think 
we got to a stage where I mean, I, like off the top of my head, I'm not thinking just about say three things and it stand out. Number one, the board were never really supportive of you know the club's amb- ambition. It's like we're just running on profits every time. So it's not like you're not going to have the, uh, the owner, you know, just pumping in money where you see, say, that, that uh, Henry guy of Liverpool or um, Abramovich or that Sheikh Mansour. You know, when they see a team, the need, team needs something or, or needs solid investment, they'll pump in money or they sell one of their key players and then that money, the bulk of it will probably be used, you know, it gets pumped back in the squad, uh, you know, to, for in the, in the transfer budget, which is not... It seemingly doesn't happen at, at the club or happened at the club. And then number two was that that transition to the stadium, I, I think everything, at, at, at the end of the day, it also costs money. So these fantastic, fantastic plays we had was like to, to, to fund the bill. And I think that this is, it leads also into the, this with the ownership. If they now, you know, covered the majority of it with, say, you know, the own, like you say, with the net worth that they're now running with, then it's almost like kind of covered the club, you know, where whatever else, like say the profits would go straight into, you know, the transfer kitty, and, or, you know, where that could also be buffed up in that. And then also, I think Wenger and the, and the coaches also had got too complacent because, look, he was using for the army, he has the same coaching staff, medical staff, etc., 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 and if you think of Alex Ferguson, I don't know if you remember that with it, we I think Roy Keane was talking about it. We Ferguson used to keep coaches on for three years, three to five years maximum, and then he rotates again. And you're always keeping that fresh show. And and since he's somebody that that you know as, as stubborn as uh, as Ferguson could also be, they said he was also somebody you would listen. If, if a coach is saying, look, you're doing this wrong and that wrong, you would take it on board. And I think that is the side. The older Wenger got, the more set in his ways he got, the, the tougher it was to almost like persuade him. And since he had a lot of what we would call yes men around him as coaches, you were not going to really get, you know, any th- sort of advancement really in, in uh, as, as a squad. Yeah, because, I mean, we had the players. I mean, you know, even, you know, that you always say, like, two players' position we had, that we had Bakari Sanya at right-back, then Ibui. I know he wasn't the best, best of right-backs, but, you know, you would have gotten to some of the, a lot of the Premier League teams as a right-back. Then you have, you had, like, players all over, Radzinski, Glem, Flamini, Gilberto Silva, which I think Wenger kind of used him wrong, because he just isolated him out of the squad, and when Flamini did pick up an injury, he's like, okay, threw him back. You had Abu Diaby, who was you know, doing a little bit decent job at that time. But it's it's almost like, you know, the wheels just kept, came, came off very bad. And I think we were also unfortunate with injuries to to top players we've had, like the likes of Radzinski, you know, his career kind of flattened because of the amount of knocks he took. Um, Flamini also at the end of well, that, that season, you know, petered out injury. And for me, the biggest um, last we've had was Van Persie. It was like you could see what he could do when he was fit, but the moment he uh, uh, took a tackle, he was out for six weeks, seven weeks, entire season. And I think that hampered Arsenal a lot in a way. And I think you know, like just to build on also what you know mentioning, I also think we took too long to find able replacements for players because look how long it took after Ashley Cole left. We never really like. Look, Clichy had a good few a few seasons, but by the time Clichy then left to Man City, 
it's like we were just scrambling around to try to, you know, uh, as I said, what's it, squeeze pigs, round holes? Because at the end, we, we were having this heat and miss moments with, with everybody at left back. And I, I think over time, if you think with, with uh, Montreal, it was almost like a Hail Mary that we just managed to strike lucky with that. But if you think prior to that, we had Andre Santos, who seems anything but a left back. And it can be, you can actually go through the team in, you know, as a whole. When we lost one person, it took so long to try to get some sort of uh, players, you know, uh, to replace him. And then also in midfield, we look after we had, we had this this gem of like Fabregas, and then it got to a stage where he didn't want to also move on. But then one of the club again ground to a halt, didn't really make whatever moves they needed to make. And it's not like we were always just it was, as you said. It was almost like you know, up, uh, you know, going uphill on a on a uh, beach, dune, like on a sand dune, because it was like we were trying to go forward, but we just kept on sliding back every time. And, and in that time, that the likes of Man City, Chelsea, and them, they were all racing ahead of us. And look at uh, it got to a stage where Tottenham already it's the norm now for them to to be ahead of us now and going almost like going into games now as favourites even. You just gotta wonder, you know, that that night. Was it in Paris against Barcelona? Henri maybe slotted that that chance he had in the first few minutes of the game, and then um, you know Jens Lehmann doesn't get sent off, and you know they give the goal to Barcelona. Sol Campbell scores his header, and and Henri um, second off, you know he scores a goal, and he, and Robert Perez stays on the field. You gotta wonder if Arsenal win the Champions League that season, do we still like you know keep? Uh, happy on the who doesn't leave to Barcelona. You keep Perez. You know, they, the other team people could learn from those guys. But it was almost like the squad just fell apart. Like Perez felt hard done by after that. He just leaves. You know, the next season on the injured. He just leaves. He goes to Barcelona. And I thought it was like a domino effect. And you wonder if that Champions League had to go our way. You wonder the, does Henri finish his career at Arsenal? And do we kind of, you know, do, do we are we in a better place now? It's all, all hindsight, but you got to wonder, you know, on the scores and Lehman doesn't get sent off. We're talking a different Champions League final. And I think also, Wenger also brought unnecessary pressure on himself when he had such almost like a, school, a small squad when people would tell him, look, you need, say, extra one or two more forwards and and you will go, no, I'm happy with the squad they have. And and if, if the, the, say, the one forward or the second forward is, is not fit enough or whatever, we can throw in somebody. Almost like everything was always done as makeshift, makeshift, and and we were of course overplaying uh, players. They were of course getting injured, and by the time they come back, they don't get fully you know rested. Then he's he's throwing them back in at the deep end again, and then it's almost like the, you go from say a two week layoff to a two or three month layoff, and that's why the the, the injuries I think was very very shocking. The way it also especially now the Emirates period. I've never seen so much or so many players, you know, almost like being played in that orange to red zone, and then you see them crocked for almost like half a season. You're right. Look how many years we lost from, you know, Van Persie. Um, because at the end of the day, he's, he really finished the full season. I mean, it was ridiculous at the end of it all. And like Jack Walsh as well, that season, he got played into the ground until... He picked up the knock, the, was it the following season? And that was the end of him. I mean, we, we look, 
just that difference he had in the in the middle of the park. I mean, I missed that Jack Walsh who used to actually take games to scrap of the neck and uh, it allowed the players around him to to um flourish. But after that injury he just couldn't stay fit at all. And we've been so unlucky with all our players. Like Rodzinski was another one. Um like Ben Percy we mentioned as well. It, it, even Kieran Gibbs seemed like a sick note at one stage. And even Thomas Vermaelen, that season when we had Koscielny coming to the club, his injury was supposed to be like six, I mean, three weeks first, and then we had six weeks, and then a month, and then, I mean, not a month, um, three months, and then you had six months, and you see he's coming back to play um, April of 2011. Mm. It's just, we like the medical staff, like was just, not good enough at that time. Plus, we just played, like you said, plays in a red zone. And then you hear Wenger say, season after season, um, we'll find that if the right player comes along, you know, we'll sign him. But there's been so many right players that came along that we didn't sign and we end up rushing to sign the wrong player all the time because it's forced upon. I mean, you think, uh, look, we had the opportunity with, with Chubby Alonso. Look how his career flourished. And then you look at, at uh, you know, say somebody like, Vincent Company as well, he became almost like a juggernaut. I mean, only the latter part of his career. He became, of course, croc, which is, you know, typical for somebody that age. But I, I just think we, a lot of the time, we, we sold a lot in the transfer market. When I think you needed somebody to, you know, just tell, you know, being in, in say, Vegas, you know, say someone like David Dean, where, you know, that's a go, that's a go, that's a go with, with in the transfer market. And I think... Every time, I don't know how many times it was also playing out like it, where we stole too long, and the minute we stole, that is when the you know top guns in, in the English game, they stepped forward and stepped up. You, you know, can you just imagine two players you had to sign, Vincent Company and Xavi Alonso, even if we sold Andre, but can you imagine adding those two guys to that Arsenal squad, that 07-08 squad that kind of, you know, pushed almost till the end? But kind of faulted very badly with injuries, but and obviously the, the mentality they never had real leadership. But just imagine those two guys coming into that Arsenal squad at that time. I think that could have pushed on Arsenal to maybe take the Premier League, and that's not even exaggerating because those two players are world class and bring a lot of leadership. Something we've lacked, and I think we still lack. Like yes, Fabregas was a good captain, but he never led. By you know, he led by example. He never really was the guy that would get in the, your place here, kind of motivate the guys like, come on, come on, let's do this, or, or even take the um take you know with Vieira. I always bring this up where Vieira would say on the field like, you know, don't listen to Arsene Wenger, not to undermine him, but sometimes on the field you need to have that. That's why you have a captain sometimes to kind of read the situation and be like, okay, let's change up a bit. You know, let's stick to not attacking. We just defend now for five minutes to just hold the game. Because we've seen many times where Arsenal has thrown a lead away, 2-0 lead, even 4-0 at the time yeah. we threw away. And you you, you listen to um, Lee Dixon or Nigel Winter when he even speaks. He said when Arsenal went 2-0 up sometimes, um, before half-time, Tony Adams would, would um, shit on them if they attacked forward. He said... Like, you guys stay here, we will see this out until half time, and that's it. Like, you know, to go into the good, to go to an old, um, up into the good. But it's like at the moment, um, no one 
No one had that leadership. And I think also, I think one of the biggest blunders the club also made, or actually Wenger, was look at when, when, when Cristiano Ronaldo was there, and uh, when he was there, and, and it was more like I think uh, Ronaldo said something down the lines of, he could sense they were also unsure about this whole thing about getting it done. Because I think that the, the majority of the, the say the higher ups, so wanted this thing to be done. And I think Wenger was just it was like playing it out. And the longer he played it out, that is when Ferguson stepped in and nabbed the guy from right under our nose. Because I mean it, it was I think I think either, even in that, that documentary that we also said it was quite close with him joining Arsenal. But just yeah. that sort of second guessing by Wenger and I think it became worse in that say the, the latter part of his twenty twenties odd year career. Uh, I just really wish Wenger was a bit more proactive than reactive. And I think that's where kind of that flip happened, you know, when they asked, you know, where did it go wrong? Because Wenger was very proactive in the transfer market. Yeah, but I think he had the support of someone like David Dean. And that is where, for me, that is, for me, that was also like the turning point. The minute we started bringing people on board, I think if the club was just run the normal, normal old-fashioned way, we had the likes of, say, with David Dean there. But, I mean, look, he started bringing in almost like investors since they also knew that the club will have to move on to bigger and better things. But I just think they were, they were, once uh, Dean was given the boot, there were almost like so many promises given and whatever. And I don't think that any promises were really kept by even, like, say, Sam Kroenke. Because, look, the first thing he wanted to do was almost like buy fan shares from right under their noses as well. So... That already left a bitter taste in the mouth, and and when you what's also also quite frustrating is when you see certain um, of the former shareholders. I don't know if some are still on there now, but some of them can be very outspoken. And then uh, I was glad that once I saw actually Arsenal, some Arsenal fans were saying, "You talking now about that? You were the guys that were selling him the shares so that he could get majority takeover, and now you want to like you know talk or it was because." Almost like they wanted to kind of distance themselves from the, you know, like the problem at the time. But what is the reason for them not wanting to go for Usmanov? Is like, because I mean, wouldn't he have pumped money into the club and made us probably a machine? He had some sort of, there was just like some bad wheel, you know, wheeling and dealing on the sideline with him. But, you know, if you look at any of these, or most of these businessmen, everyone has some sort of shady background. Same with Abramovich, same with even. Uh, was the other guy or that Sheikh Mansour also that's why Man City is now facing that type of thing but I don't think he was he was more uh, since Usmana was more like an Arsenal fan he was you know, wanting to have this thing as some sort of investment but also willing to push money in the same way you know it was done but with Chelsea and, and Man City need... yeah go on no, no you carry on carry on no because I, I just think to myself for, for me we actually look almost like jackasses right now if you think we try to stick to the financial fair play rule, etc., etc. And then when you see everybody else is getting now, you know, big investors, and, that, and it's like we try, you know, almost like you trying to uh, stick by, for the, by FFP, and then you actually get shafted by it, whereas those that now, you know, have, have gone and spent and did their thing, they've got the successes that they need. Yeah, and I just think, you know, we, 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 we've fallen behind now and, and we, we actually need somebody 
to take over the club who will use it as a toy, not not use it as a kind of investment or like a cash cow for them for, to find other things, but somebody that actually you know wants to you know buy a club and wants to have trophies. Like Wenger would have probably been sacked ages ago, and no disrespect to him, but if it was a if it was a, another guy who bought Arsenal for the sake of winning trophies and silverware, not just profits, he would have been sacked because. You know, you, you, you want to be successful. I mean, you don't want to just post profits all the time. Obviously, you're not going to want to run at a complete loss, but you, you're buying the club for the love of the, the, the sport to want to be successful. But there's just something that, you know, never filtered out at Arsenal when Stan Kruger took over. But, you know, some of them, I see Arsenal fans saying, you know, we don't want to be that type of club, etc., etc. Then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you want to be the best in the world. Like, you know, up there. Then you also have to make that sort of... You can't be too sentimental about certain things because if you look at Real, you look at Barcelona, you look at Bayern, you look at Chelsea, and that, if things are not working right after a season or two, you move, you switch to another coach or you come with another approach. But things get moving, and, and that is why you have that sort of elite. And, I mean, if you look at the, also the manager list, it looks like, I'm like a, <laughs> a, a, a multi-Wikipedia page with, you know, saying just one club's coaches because... If they don't see success over the course of, of two or three seasons, out you go and in comes the next one. And that is, if, if we want to start uh, being a big club, we have to start thinking like a big club. Yeah, it's, it's quite shocking at that. Like, you look at Chelsea Mourinho, brings in their first title in 50 years or something like that. They, um, you know, win it again. They then win an FA Cup, and then something happens, and they get you get sacked. Like you know, three three seasons in sacked after. You look at Angelotti, first season wins the league and cup double. Um, next season, you know, sacked again. It's, it, it's like you said, you can't be sentimental because it's a results game at the end of the day. Because I mean, look, uh, the longer you sit, you get you, and you're not winning anything. You Let's let's face it. You do go into some sort of comfort zone. So you, of course you you have a coach that 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 uh, his job is not under threat, and then you get the players also eventually getting to that sort of thinking. Whereas just just look at the thinking. Uh, like if you take say Man City or Liverpool now, these guys know they cannot slip up because there is like two or three players just waiting in the wings to take over this slot, and then you don't you're not even sure if you're going to come back in the squad again. And I think that is where. You, you, when you see certain players when they're not okay, my position not under threat, whatever, so I can play and do. And that is where I think at times Arsenal do have a small club, you know, mindset the way they're thinking at the moment. And I, we shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be thinking like that. We should be yeah. getting better. That's that's so true. And I just like you just miss leadership because do you think during Tony Adams' time as captain? or Patrick Vieira's time as captain, that we would have seen that laughing and joking you saw under Emery, like with yeah. Arsenal. No, because, I mean, when I see... Look at, at, at the games that you and I have been doing, like when we do the roundups and that. The amount of times we go ahead and whatever, and then if it's like the last five or ten minutes, your heart is racing because you don't know if you're going to see this out because... Let you you you're thinking of majors may maybe holding out for the three points. You could even be going home with zero points, and that is how this team has been playing, you know, over time. Because you don't have that. Look, Arteta, where that's where I also have to give him credit. He is bringing that sort of steely mentality back to the team. Because 
there's been now games, you know, before this whole break and that, where you actually did feel, okay, starting to look like uh, there's more organization, there's more con- actually control in the game where we're not, you know, we're not chasing for the third or fourth because we know we are, everybody's like sitting deep. But I mean, there's, there's moments we have that, that where you see certain players in the team where they have their blackout moments and then you, you wonder actually how we did not, you know, lose this game and, and that was... <laughs> We need to get that sort of solidity back also. Yeah, that 1-0 Arsenal, but not the 1-0 where your heart's in your throat. The one that, you know, what's it, the 1991 season where every time we went 1-0 up, it was basically game over. Yeah. I mean, they ended up that season, if I remember correctly, it was something like 17 goals or they conceded for the whole season. Uh, so far, we do that probably, you know, in the first 10 games with any 17 goals conceded. But I think the foundations needs to be sorted out and take it from there. We just haven't really replaced, you know, we've had Koscielny, but we never really replaced like a Saul Campbell at his prime or even a Tony Adams. Or And then you look in the midfield, we never really, really replaced a Patrick Vieira type player. I mean, we could have probably had N'Golo Kante, but... We went for Xhaka. Not saying that um, it's a, not, he has something to improve himself, but just imagine a, a Kante in the Arsenal side with, with Uzel and Sanchez at the time. So, you know, we've, we've lost a lot of players because of lack of trophies and stalling with contracts. So let's hope, you know, we see a new dawn or a new era with Arteta and the new staff he brought with him. I mean, I just hope with, with regards to... With, look, from what I've read, something like last week about uh, Saliba, you know, with the French league now uh, over and done with, uh, he's now allowed to, you know, rejoin the, the uh, squad. But I think, uh, I'm not sure if he's really going to be included in, you know, for, for the current matches. I think it's more, you know, to, to be, he's just training with the first team. And, but I just think, if you think of somebody with that sort of talent you know, and his, the sort of reputation he's coming with, I really think Arsenal need to almost like, like compliment the player by bringing somebody of, of say, that type or, you know, the real top quality where Saliba can also develop, you know, in time, but with somebody of, of the real quality. And that is why I think we need to, you know, besides, say, Pablo Marie, get somebody else, you know, that, that's almost like well-known in, in world football that can be almost like a, a guaranteed maybe starter in our defence. We say somebody with, with so much potential like Saliba, where you can actually develop and, and, and feed off somebody like that. You wonder if Arsenal, like, you know, these talented youngsters that kind of just went off the radar. I'm not talking about, you know, those... Like, what I'm talking about, like, uh, Koscielny could have been a much better player had, when he come to Arsenal, had a proper leader next to him because it is literally like we buy these youngsters and they just get thrown in into a catastrophe. Like, look at Rob Holding or Callum Chambers. They just get thrown in without like a real leader or top defender next to them. Can you just imagine uh, Callum Chambers playing with Vincent Company at the back? The the different type of player that would have come out or John Terry next to him. And we just didn't have that. It was almost like these players must kind of find them, feed themselves. And if they don't, they find themselves on the bench and then eventually they're playing for some lower league club. And I mean, you you, you watch, uh, even that, that, uh, that period of Liverpool also, say something like that Sammy Upia, he, like, he didn't look like somebody that can 
offer much, but I mean, that guy was, was a juggernaut in the defense, and look how, how say, Jamie Carragher developed alongside him, and, and, and same can be said with, with Man United, I never, back in the day, I never thought much of, of uh, Vidic and Ferdinand, and yet Ferdinand almost like prospered, having Vidic alongside him, and, and of course, Vidic being also, yeah, at the time, young defender, he also played his, not Vidic, sorry, what was it there? Or was it Vidic that, yeah, that successful period also? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Vidic and Ferdinand. They were real dominant defensive yeah. pairs. Something Arsenal lacked at that time. If you used to look at our defence first, their defence. And like you mentioned, there's no mentoring at, at the club, man. Like, mm-hmm. like um, you saw um, Fabregas, there was a Patrick Vieira that would probably have taken him under his wing. And people were taking players under their wing. But now it's like, you know, you see Gwendozi, instead of trying to learn from the players in the team, he's more laughing and joking, trying to be in with the, with the, with the main guys, like you would say. Yeah. Uh, I just want to switch my attention now to um, so that rumours now growing now even more now with Santi Cazola now. And, uh, you know, joining the, the uh, playing stuff, so not playing stuff, the, the coaching stuff, um, I was just thinking, you know, uh, about having say, something like that on board. You know, I think something like even people could really benefit from him because he'd probably be taught how to also handle, you know, taking the ball on the left side, taking the ball with the right foot as well. Because, I mean, Sandy would probably try to mold that also into, uh, you know, the current crop of players where they can actually do things with both feet. Yeah, we, we see Pepe is very one-footed. I mean, if I was a defender against him you just show him onto his weaker foot because he's going to want to cut in all the time and you kind of just nullify his game by that by doubling up on him because he's going to cut back in you show him to the weaker side and he let the other guy come defend you so you know like Santi can teach him like you said the other use both feet and also you know the decisions because Santi's decisions were second to none like it was just really like he was quick feet think fast and release the ball to good like opposite like his opponent um, his fellow teammates and play them in as well. Yeah. And another point I also want to raise, um, Arteta was talking to Ian Wright the other night um, on one of these uh, chats, it's, you know, like Skype chats. And he was saying, I mean, I wouldn't say, I, I don't know how he would now take it now because he said, and I think this one was like di- uh, directed at uh, people like, say, Obama Young and them, or, you know, maybe the, the bigger figures at the club as well. Where he said something down the lines of, we're not going to be pandering to players who don't want to be there. So, I mean, I don't know what your take is on that. Because it's almost like, you know, either you're going to sign the, whatever we're going to offer you, or if you're not, make it clear to us so we can find a replacement for you. Yeah, I think we've needed this stance a very long time because it was like, these top guys used to play with these Arsenal fans' emotions and it got to a point where, you know, us as fans were begging, like, please stay, please stay. And you, you're you working yourself up because you need a rumour that, oh, um, Sanchez says he wants to stay or Sanchez says, like, you know, yeah. it's not the club for him or, you know, he's still thinking whether he's going to sign or not or I can't, now it's not the time to talk about my future. You know, and you as a, as a fan is hoping and, like, always praying that this player doesn't leave but now, at least if it's open cards, you know, you, you, you can deal with it much better than, you know, reading an article the next day when you wake up breaking news. Yeah, uh, I mean, I fully agree with the club stance there because I think that will also give us, in, you know, enough time to get somebody lined up to, to 
you know, both of the squad in of you know probably the same or who knows even better quality than. Yeah, um, that's we we need that because it 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 gives I guess Arteta the opportunity if you're gonna play open cards with, for example, with Aubameyang, he says I'm leaving. Arteta them can start preparing now. It's not the case of with Wenger where we wait, we wait uh, two two weeks before dead a week before deadline day. Suddenly um, we uh, Aubameyang is out the door. Then what do you do? You panic buy instead. You know people are active now. You know, you can sign at all Jimenez, you can start talking to Wolves now already, or whoever you want as your main guy up front, whoever Teta wants. They're balking it, rolling instead of like with Lucas Perez, where we just signed Lucas Perez. Yeah, and then, I mean, the, the very uh, guy that they, that, that's now, of course, the scout, chief scout, who said our Venga up, up front, him and Gazidis, they were just, you know, making decisions like, you know, off the, you know, Randomly, same with Mustafi. That was another player that that this um, I forgot this guy's name of the head of recruitment at the club now. We also said he would not have signed either player because they were almost like uh, you know like already mediocre for the Spanish league, and now you're throwing them in to be almost like near first teamers. Yeah, it's, it it was very much like you said. He was reactive to the situation. And instead of, you know, planning better, he left things till was the 11th hour and then, you know, end up signed like a perfect example that 8-2 thrashing, you signed Arteta, Ben Ayun, Motosaka, Park and um, Andre Santos. Yeah, crazy, crazy world. Okay, guys, so I'll draw a line now of this podcast. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Take care. Bye. Cheers, guys. Stay safe.